there aren't a lot of other great treatment options for autoimmune issues, MS, neural Lyme disease, chronic Lyme, mold issues, brain injuries. You know, there are not a lot of standard medical treatments that are great for those things. You could add in the neurological disorders, you know, like Parkinson's and cognitive impairment. The brain responds in pretty unique ways to this. And it's something that people should start to have choice about, you know, have awareness of. I'm Dr. Seth Osgood, the founder of Grassroots Functional Medicine. After struggling for years with chronic health issues that traditional medicine and pharmaceuticals could not resolve, I finally found relief in true healing with a functional medicine approach. Since then, I've dedicated my life to helping patients around the world transform their health by getting to the root cause of symptoms and restoring their body's natural ability to heal. This experience has shown me that a true state of wellness often requires an integrated approach that brings in multiple disciplines and modalities. In this podcast, I will interview experts across the wellness spectrum to educate and empower you on the tools available to reclaim your health. If you're struggling with health challenges and you're not getting the answers or the results you feel you deserve, or you simply want to optimize your health and take a proactive approach to wellness, this podcast is for you. And if you like the show and find it helpful, please be sure to tell a friend, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to another great episode of the Grassroots Functional Medicine Podcast. Today's episode is extremely exciting. It's one of my favorites to date, and it's all about something I'm very passionate about, hyperbaric oxygen therapy. We are joined today by Dr. Grace Johnstone. Dr. Grace is the founder and president of Hyperbaric Vermont. Grace came to hyperbaric medicine through her own experience with Lyme disease, which resulted in meningitis and radiculoneuritis. From being completely incapacitated, hyperbaric oxygen therapy brought her back to the chiropractic practice she loves, the active lifestyle she enjoys, and the energy and determination to share this powerful healing modality with others. Certified in hyperbaric and undersea medicine, she is committed to educating people about hyperbaric therapy and is working to make it more affordable and readily available to people in the community who can benefit from it. You're going to love this episode, so please listen to the end and help us to spread the word on how powerful hyperbaric oxygen therapy can be to help people achieve a better state of wellness. Let's dive in and get started. Well, hi, Grace. Thank you so much for joining me on the Grassroots Functional Medicine Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on, and I'm really excited to pick your brain today a little bit about hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Well, thank you, Seth. It's good to be here, and I'm glad to talk about it. Awesome. Well, before we jump into the nitty gritty of today's topic, I would love for our listeners to know a little bit more about you and your background and really what got you interested in hyperbaric therapy. Sure. Well, I'm a chiropractor. I've been a chiropractor for about 30 years now and had not really any awareness of hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which I think is kind of typical here in the U.S. (laughs) And really, it was my own health crisis that brought me to hyperbaric. I didn't know it, but I was dealing with a a long-term, a chronic Lyme. I had some co-infections as well. And at one point that spiked into Lyme meningitis, which is a pretty serious thing. And that is what 
basically got me so sick that we figured out what the, you know, what was going on, that it was, that it was Lyme meningitis. And then it moved down into my spinal cord, into my lumbar plexus in what's called radiculoneuritis. So uh, it affected my organs and my leg. And it was through, you know, a year of trying to treat that, the meningitis and the radiculoneuritis with, you know, I used IV antibiotics. I used kind of all the big guns we could pull out to deal with that. And I just wasn't getting better. And so I was pretty near the end of my rope. And I live in Vermont. In Vermont, it's a pretty small community. Somebody heard about my situation, friend of a friend kind of thing, and offered to let me use their hyperbaric chamber, which they had because their daughter almost died from Lyme, actually. Uh, So I tried that chamber and realized that this was really nailing it in some ways that I had not experienced before. And that was the beginning of my journey. I got a chamber to use at home. I couldn't drive or walk or read (laughs) for that matter. And, you know, as I returned to health and was able to practice again, I I set up my first hyperbaric oxygen therapy treatment center. That's pretty impressive. That's, that's an amazing story. So, I mean, and, and I know that resonates with a lot of people who who feel like they're at the end of their rope, right? They've, they've done, you know, especially with something like Lyme disease. And there's, I know we'll talk about all of the other indications that, you know, people see benefit with hyperbaric therapy from, but with Lyme disease, you know, they, they see that they, they get the antibiotics, maybe they've done herbals, you know, maybe they've done essential oils or other, you know, alternative therapies and they just aren't making any progress. So to really add in another tool to the toolbox, you know, that's non-invasive and very safe, it's pretty incredible. And, uh, awesome that you came upon it that way. I'm glad. I tell you what, I don't know that I'd be here now, but weren't for that. So, wow. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, hyperbaric therapy. So can you tell me a little bit more about how it works? A lot of people, I don't, this might be the first time they ever heard about hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Do you mind just giving us the rundown on, on how it works? Sure. Well, let's start with defining it because hyperbaric oxygen therapy is the use, the medical use of oxygen under increased pressure. So we're at normal, what we think of as normal pressure now, you know, and we're breathing room air. And when we put someone into a hyperbaric chamber, that can be like a room sized thing, or it can be, oh, like a a tent, a pop tent kind of thing, or an igloo kind of shape. There are different shapes and sizes and all, but we're allowed that that allows us to then pressurize that chamber. And the person can either bring, breathe room air in the chamber, or they can breathe uh, concentrated or enriched oxygen. In the hospitals, they use 100% oxygen. In home use and and most clinic use, oxygen concentrators are safer because you avoid all risk of explosion and oxygen toxicity and all of the scary things that you would read about online if you were to Google risks of hyperbaric oxygen therapy. So they are actually one of the safest medical procedures that exists. And so so people can really feel safe being in them. And yeah, so any increase in pressure, it turns out, actually has a clinical effect and changes how our bodies respond to the oxygen we breathe in. At normal pressure, we breathe in air that's 21% oxygen, and that pretty much fully loads our red blood cells. And the red blood cells float around, travel around our body, and deliver that oxygen out to the tissue. And the further away you get from your heart and lungs, the less oxygen that red blood cell is carrying anymore because it's, it's, it's been dissipating off the red blood cells. So that's why 
you get to your feet, it's got the least oxygen. And that's why, for example, diabetics often have wounds in the feet that don't heal kind of early on. That's where the least oxygen is arriving. When you increase the pressure, you're able to actually load oxygen onto the plasma, into the plasma, all the fluid of the body directly. You don't even actually need red blood cells at that point because you can supply so much so instantly through the fluid in the body that's oxygenated that the red blood cell almost becomes irrelevant. And clinically, that has some really important, it has some important meaning because it means that if you have a large wound, for example, where you can't, there's no blood supply to the middle of that, you can still oxygenate all that tissue and that wound can actually heal without fibrosis, you know, without tissue that, that we create when we don't get enough oxygen. Or if you have congestion or an injury to the brain, you can actually oxygenate the brain directly through the fluid in the brain without relying on the blood supply. So if you had a stroke, for example, you can still oxygenate the brain and the brain can heal. That's pretty impressive. Yes. Now, I remember you, didn't you give, you give an example, there was a, a study or a research that was done using animals, but they, they were able to keep the animals alive with hyperbaric oxygen therapy, even though, but remember something, you're telling me something. Uh, what was that? That was just really an interesting fact. That was really neat to just demonstrate the effectiveness of this and how it works. There've been some experiments where they actually <laughs> had people in a hyperbaric situation and removed all of their red blood cells and they were fine because there was so much oxygen in the plasma and in the fluids of the body that it, you know, it didn't need, they didn't need the red blood cells. Yeah. That's impressive. So, yeah. you know, especially for people who are anemic or may ha- you know, have, def- you know, a deficiency of red blood cells, which is not uncommon. you know, in a lot of the patients we see, they're still getting that, that healing uh, oxygenation, which is pretty impressive. Well, is this a newer technology? Is this something that's just coming around or has it been around for a while, hyperbaric oxygen therapy? Well, that's an interesting question because, because most of us don't know about this. Even a lot of, in this country, a lot of physicians don't really know a lot about hyperbaric medicine. It's not, it's, I think only a dozen of the med schools in the U.S. have uh, hyperbaric oxygen chambers and and it's sort of, uh, what would you call it? It's not a mainstream curriculum for, for training MD. So most of them don't know a lot about it and neither do the rest of us. And what's interesting is the first hyperbaric chamber was actually uh, built, a diving bell was built in 1620. <laughs> so it's wow. certainly the technology has changed, but uh, we can't say that it's new. <laughs> and what has changed is the application of that, you know, it used to be used for just diving and then for more military kinds of endeavors. And now, as we've come to know more about the physiological effects of it, we have a lot of clinical applications where it is just pretty phenomenal because it really can induce changes in the body that there are no medications that can do the same thing. And so, and it's good for you. So it's a technology that, you know, the time is, the time is here for us to know about and learn about. Right. It's a win-win in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. so talking about that physiology, because I think that's important. I know you mentioned that, again, the, the pressure, the increase in pressure increases oxygenation in the plasma. But what are some of the physiologic changes that happen as a result of hyperbaric oxygen therapy? Sure. There are some big ones. One, high levels of oxygen and increased pressure are a really powerful anti-inflammatory. And when you think about that, you know, we think of an aspirin maybe or a steroid. This is an anti-inflammatory that's actually good for you and your whole body is in it. 
So it's affecting inflammation in your brain, inflammation in your joints, inflammation in your gut. It's a systemic good for you in anti-inflammatory. It's also a natural antimicrobial. And so it has applications there, particularly with chronic infections, things that are resistant to treatment, you know, things that form, it breaks down biofilms, things like Lyme and the co-infections or mold in terms of COVID. It's an antiviral. It, uh, COVID is actually what they call an enveloped virus. So it, it, the virus is covered by a little envelope that protects it. And the hyperbaric actually breaks down that envelope and then the virus degenerates. So it's got a lot of applications in that realm. Another interesting thing about it is that it speeds tissue healing. And the interesting part being tissue of all types. You know, we, we like to think of brain tissue as needing certain, a certain environment to heal well and bone tissue, another one and connective tissue or organs, perhaps a different kind of support to heal well. And this stimulates those tissues to heal across the board. So that's really interesting. You know, some of the applications to the brain and to nerve tissue are really pretty captivating in that, as I mentioned earlier, there are no medications that induce some of these things, but there are studies now that show that in someone who's had, say, a stroke in the brain, so there's disrupted blood flow to a certain area, that not only does the hyperbaric bring idling neurons back online, but at 30 to 40 treatment hours, the brain is actually going to grow new vasculature into that area of the brain. And we didn't know that that was possible. We didn't know that idling neurons could be brought back online. And so they're using, you know, the U.S. military is using this for veterans who are dealing with diffuse brain injuries. You know, anatomically, the brain might look fine, but it's not working. And so how do we, how do we kickstart that process? Well, this is a really good way to do that. That's incredible. And I know one of the things I know that you uh, mentioned as well, and it's really popular in, in the community right now is, is regarding stem cell mobilization. Yes. And how I was looking this up uh, recently and, and I saw a study that, that showed that hyperbaric oxygen therapy actually showed an 800% increase in stem cell mobilization, which is pretty impressive. People are spending a lot of money you know, on stem cell transplants and all of these other fancy treatments when in fact we can see this happen naturally with this particular therapy. I just thought that was amazing. Yeah, it really is pretty phenomenal what can happen. In terms of brain activation, stem cell activation, um, we also see that one of the things that, that they describe hyperbaric as an immune system normalizer. And so what that means is, you know, where we have, for example, drugs that can depress immune function, which is what we use for a lot of autoimmune issues, MS or thyroid issues, or, you know, there's a whole host of autoimmune issues. And then we have medications that can bring up and support immune function. The hyperbaric seems to have an intelligence in how it works in the system. No big surprise, since our physiology is incredibly intelligent, but it actually normalizes both of these functions. So it's good for autoimmune issues and actually starts to bring back those dysregulated functions. It's also good for something, again, like Lyme, where, you know, Lyme will really depress certain aspects of immune function. And then it makes other aspects hyperactive, if you will, so that people start to display immune issues uh, when they have chronic Lyme. And this actually normalizes that, brings it back to baseline. And, you know, I think that's a really important aspect of 
recovery when we look at long term how our physiology is asking is is acting rather it's not just have we killed the microbe you know is the lime gone or the babesia or the mold but is the system able to restore its normal plasticity and resilience and functioning and this is where you know it takes some long term use because that dysregulation doesn't happen overnight but the hyperbaric actually addresses that and so i think it's an important tool for a lot of these issues that we're becoming more and more aware of, you know? Absolutely. And I think that's a great point. We see that a lot with people who have been treated for chronic infections where, you know, they're just on antibiotic after antibiotic after antibiotic, you know, to try to get things under control, but we're not really addressing the immune system, which ultimately is what, you know, gets you out of the woods in the long run and keeps you healthy. So that's pretty incredible that, you know, this, this works on both aspects of that, you know, tissue regeneration, formation of new blood vessels, anti-inflammatory effects, reduces pain, enhances immune function, protects the body with antioxidants. It, it almost sounds too good to be true. Is there actual evidence? Is there actual science to back hyperbaric oxygen therapy? You know, this is another interesting thing because, because we don't use this in the US, we think that this doesn't exist. And if you do research in EuroPubMed or PubMed or any of these other these are scientific and medical journal research studies. There are over 35,000 studies on hyperbaric that support, you know, these, I'm not just making claims, you know, I'm speaking to that. And yet, uh, because we don't use it in the U.S., it's still it's sort of deemed experimental here. Our FDA has approved hyperbaric for 14 different conditions and those are conditions that insurance in this country is supposed to then pay for. The FDA has called all the other uses experimental because they haven't been through the process in our particular FDA to justify their use. Those are expensive, you know, treatment and those are expensive studies to do and and nobody's doing them in this country. Now, if you look in other countries, their FDAs have approved hyperbaric for between 60 and 120 different conditions. And so that's where we need to look, I think. That's, you know, the research is there. People are doing this. When I started doing research into hyperbaric, which was some years ago now, I was stunned to find that you know in the UK, they've been using hyperbaric to treat MS for 35 years. It's their mainstream approach. This is just what they do. And they've got longitudinal studies that demonstrate its effectiveness. So we don't know that here. And, and we really should, because a lot of the conditions that this is really good for, there aren't a lot of other great treatment options for, you know, autoimmune issues, MS, neural Lyme disease, chronic Lyme, mold issues, brain injuries. You know, there are not a lot of standard medical treatments that are great for those things. You could add in the neurological disorders, you know, like Parkinson's and cognitive impairment. The brain responds in pretty unique ways to this. And it's something that people should start to have choice about, you know, have awareness of. Absolutely. It's, it's frustrating in many ways. Uh, and it makes you wonder, you know, why, why we aren't, why, why we're not implementing something like this on a, a national level uh, to help people to get better. I mean, everybody's, everybody responds to something different and we should always be looking for the safest yet most effective means as opposed to what's going to be uh, making the most money for people. And unfortunately, I think sometimes those lines get crossed. 
But you know, you mentioned that you mentioned the the uh, FDA approved indications. I just wanted to run through a few of those. So I know like air or gas embolisms, you know, acute traumatic ischemia, meaning that their people are not getting blood flow to uh, various tissues in for acute reasons. Uh, anemia, carbon monoxide or cyanide poisoning, you know, wound healing. That even in the conventional world, it is used a lot for wound healing, and I know you use that in your practice as well. And it is pretty impressive what what hyperbaric oxygen therapy does for wounds. But thermal burns, uh, you know, burns or radiation burns, you know, all of these things, these are, there, there's, like you said, there's 14, but I know that list hasn't really changed much over the years, despite all of this research and all of the, the evidence we're seeing in clinical practice, this, this list has been pretty stagnant. So what, what are, what are some of the, I know you mentioned already some of those off-label uses that you're using in your practice, but what would you say are the more common indications that you see benefit from uh, in your clinic? Certainly we do see particularly diabetic non-healing wounds that, that respond very well and retinopathies. Radiation tissue damage is another thing that is approved by the FDA. And we, we see that in our practice as well. People who mainly post-cancer treatment, that is, has been really consistently had good results. Uh, the off-label uses would include a lot of the autoimmune stuff. A lot of the chronic infection stuff like Lyme and Bartonella, you know, infections, Babesia and mold, certainly brain injuries. We've had some spinal cord injuries, peripheral neuropathies. What else? We have a, some uh, kiddos with autism uh, respond very well. And uh, a few with some seizure disorders that were undiagnosed. We don't, we don't know the cause of, but responded well. I could go on and on. <laughs> <laughs> I know the list goes on and on and on, but that's great. And it's just good for people to hear, you know, that this is, this is again, a very safe and, and potentially effective therapy for a lot of these conditions that, that uh, conventional medicine is not addressing appropriately or the medications simply just aren't working. And, and beyond that, you know, a lot of times these medications, like with autoimmunity, they may help with the symptoms, but they're not really doing anything to improve immune function in the long run. And that's what's so encouraging about hyperbaric therapy. And I, I know one of the other um, examples that you've talked about a lot is uh, is dementia and, and cognitive decline. Can you just talk a little bit about your experience with, with that? Because I know that's running rampant in our community. And a lot of people are concerned. Yes, it certainly is. And and we've, we've actually had, my goodness, quite a number of patients at this point who are dealing with dementia. Um, and our first dementia patient, you know, treated for half the time that the research indicated and went from not being able to drive because he would just depart the scene and couldn't be found to regaining all of his faculties. And now five years post is still fine. He had a, acquired dementia post through a surgery. He had a, he had a knee replacement and you know, there's a certain percentage in the elderly population when you when you put someone under general anesthesia, there is a percentage of those people that they say, you know, there's a solid risk of dementia for. They just don't, the brain can't seem to re-engage afterwards. So that was the case for this fellow. He'd been healthy. He needed a knee replacement. He had just retired. He was in his early 70s. He had the knee replacement and he basically never came back. And uh, so maybe six months, eight months later, they came back to Vermont. They've been in Florida for the winter. And I heard about that situation and, and we got him in for treatment. And I tell you what, within a couple of weeks, he was driving again. And 
They left for Florida, as I said, before his treatment plan was over, but he had regained all of his faculties. And I was a little concerned about what would happen while they were gone without treatment. Came back the next spring. Absolutely fine. He's been fine since. So. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. And how many people, I mean, that's the thing, where would he be without that? I mean, I know you've had it happen too, where patients come in and they've been to, you know, a million different doctors. They're, you know, been on several medications and especially when it comes to cognitive decline, they, they literally are told there's nothing else that can be done. Right. And how scary would that be? I mean, could you imagine being told that this is the best that it's going to get and it's only going to get worse from here? So to have these other tools to explore, I mean, it's just incredible. Yeah. For the whole family, you know, for the partner, for the, it's just devastating. It's like a, a brain injury or a cord injury. You know, typically they say with a brain injury, you have about six months maybe a year on the outside that, that any treatment that, that medical treatment can offer help. And wherever you are at the end of that six months or year, that's where you're going to be. And your therapy is going to be around how to accommodate that. And this actually, you know, there's research online, PubMed, showing people between two and five, six, eight, 10, 12 years out from some of them very severe brain injuries who regained their, uh, their brain function. So the brain has more ability to recover more plasticity than we thought that it did. And we need to just start feeding it what it needs to engage that. Yeah. So just because someone had an injury several years ago, doesn't mean that that's where they have to be. I mean, this, this could potentially take them to a whole nother level, even years after the incident. Exactly right. And we're seeing a lot of injuries too, with, you know, with sports and concussions and, you know, I mean, there's the list goes on and on. And I just love, I know what you talked, we talked previously about it, but from, for veterans, you know, who have had a lot of traumatic brain injury and now are experiencing PTSD. The fact again, that, that we're seeing some significant improvements with cognitive function and with PTSD symptoms after implementing this, it drives me crazy to think, like, why is this not being implemented as a first line therapy across the nation? I mean, people need to know about this. Yes, I agree. You know, the, to my knowledge, the military has one treatment center in Colorado where they, since the Afghan war, have been treating vets coming back with brain injuries. And they, of course, doing studies as they're, you know, documenting what changes they're getting. And one of the things that they found was there was such an overlap in the population of people with brain injuries who also had PTSD. The PTSD was also resolving as a result of the hyperbaric. And so they're now using it to treat both of those conditions. So yes, this should be mainstream, you know, athletes, veterans. Yeah. So here's a big question for you. (laughs) Why, why do you think it's not, you know, why, why do you think, you know, this isn't mainstream? What are some of the theories in your mind, uh, why this isn't being uh, broadcasted on a, on a, on a wide wider level? You know, I think really the underlying reason is that, that most of healthcare in this country is, is really revolves around pharmaceuticals. You know, drug companies do the research, they fund the research, they are involved in what gets paid for insurance, by insurance rather. And, we, you know, the FDA is interesting. You have, to, you, you have to go by condition for a treatment. So in other words, you can't just demonstrate that hyperbaric is effective for neural degeneration or for chronic inflammatory conditions. You have to go through every single one of those conditions to demonstrate 
that it is viable and a good, safe treatment alternative. The research is already there that it is, but that doesn't get it through the FDA process. So in this country, it's pharmaceutical companies that get things through the FDA. They have the money to do it, and they're not interested in hyperbaric. And, and I'm not trying to point any bad fingers at anyone, but, but the fact is that hyperbaric gets people off drugs. They have no interest or motivation to try to get more hyperbaric through the FDA. The last condition that was added was, I think, in 2012, uh, research based on, uh, and testimony really, that Dr. Harch, who's a, a leading hyperbaric researcher in our country, based on his testimony and, and research, uh, they added the sensorineural hearing loss to the list. But that's, you know, the list hasn't changed, as you said. It's 14, it used to be 13. And there is so much research around brain injuries or around, you know, you look at what's happening with COVID and some of these systemic issues that go on post-COVID, these would all be well addressed by hyperbaric and other countries are doing that. So. Absolutely. I know. And it's funny you say that because I was actually researching that and I found that there is some, there's actually some randomized controlled studies going on. I don't think it was in this country, but it would on uh, using hyperbaric oxygen therapy for post-COVID problems and complications and acute COVID complications. And I, I watched that actually just recently. I was a video on that. It was in Spanish because it wasn't here, but they're using it, you know, again, and, and across the, the world because it's just proving to be so effective. Well, can, can you walk us through, you know, for those of you, those for people who don't know what a treatment looks like. So what, what happens during a treatment? How long are these treatments? How many therapy or how many different treatments are people usually doing before they start seeing some results? Just the kind of the basics on it. Sure. So basically in the situations that we are treating, so in a hospital, it would be different. You would be gowned up. It would be hundred percent oxygen. So you have to be gowned up, no electronic devices. Any spark could literally blow the place up. So there's a whole different level of concerns. They're sometimes doing treatment in the chamber, abriding wounds or, you know, fluid exchanges, that kind of thing. We leave that aside, and in a clinic situation such as what we run, which is something that really any physician or trained technician can can offer this kind of care, a, a person would come in, they would be fully clothed. We want people to be comfortable. We, we don't have shoes. We don't have any what we call sharps or flammables, so no knives, <laughs> no lighters. You know, you could cause trouble if you really wanted to but you'd have to try pretty hard. And given that, so you're, you're dressed in your own clothing, you get in the chamber. We have chambers that people can sit in. We have chambers that we can pull up. We have a zero gravity chair. We can pull it out, put in a big bean bag and a parent and a couple of kids can get in. We have chambers that you, that you lie in that, you know, have a nice expansive. They are not like an MRI, you know, where you're right here. It's uh, these chambers have a 33 or 34 inch diameter. So that's longer than my arm reach, you know? You can read, you can bring in an iPad or a laptop if you want to watch a movie or listen to a meditation tape, or you can take a nap. You know, whatever feels like it's, it's good for you and nourishing while you're in there. Most treatments last about an hour. There are exceptions to that if we're starting someone who's perhaps super sensitive with Lyme and has a lot of issues with die-off and symptom flares in response to treatment, we may start with a shorter treatment just to see how that is before we, before we move up to 60 minutes. And 
you know, the chamber gets zipped up, you're pressurized. Just it's very similar to the feeling you get when you take off or land in a plane. As you know, if you have a head cold when you're in a plane, you can have some ear pain and ear pressure, and you sometimes have to yawn or swallow or chew gum, or people sometimes use a little insert they put in their ear to help the ear equalize. And really, in terms of risks, that is the most common thing, if you will. So it's not harmful, but it's not comfortable. And we all like to be comfortable. (laughs) When someone's getting ear pain or ear pressure, that just means that the chamber pressure is changing faster than their ears can accommodate. And we, as I said, we have some tricks to help that happen. We can also just slow the chamber pressurization rate down. And that's what we do. We just monitor that for each patient. Typically, anyone who has trouble with this early in care, within a few treatments, it's resolving. Because it's often related to congestion and inflammation around the eustachian tube in the cranium. And of course, being a good anti-inflammatory, that tends to get better each time you're in the chamber. So it gets easier and easier. For a lot of people, it's not a trouble at all. So that would the, the taking off and, and landing in a plane is the best comparison I can offer in that regard. Awesome. And how many sessions do people usually do? I mean, I know it's important for people to understand this is not an overnight fix. It, it takes time to really see the full benefit. So they want to set themselves up with the right expectations. This is true. And like, you know, really, when you think of any medication, you don't just take it once. What's good about this is that it is actually helping change the underlying physiology. So over time, Uh, At first, you're getting that anti-inflammatory effect and and killing microbes. If you had a headache when you get in the chamber, you might not have a headache when you get out. If you have brain fog when you get in the chamber, you may not have it when you get out in one session. Now, if the underlying reason for the brain fog or the headache are Lyme, well, then that's going to be a longer treatment plan than just getting rid of that daily headache, right? MS, for example, or chemo, those things all can give you fatigue and malaise and brain fog and head pain and sometimes joint pain. The complexity of one's uh, current health status is part of this. For, For example, for a Lyme treatment, it may take, you know, initially we're killing the organism, we're getting an anti inflammatory effect. As we get into 20, 30 treatment hours, that's where we're starting to measure actually really change in immune function and change in the tissue as it's rejuvenating in those situations. With a brain injury, they're measuring changes, you know, the growth of new vasculature, new blood vessels in the brain starts to happen at around 30 treatment hours. The brain or the tissue needs to get supported in that really nourishing hyperbaric environment with enough frequency that all those processes, you know, the stem cell activation, the mitochondrial switching, the mRNA to DNA changes, that all of those processes get support with enough frequency that more and more they're ongoing and can jumpstart themselves. And that's when we have a healthy brain or healthy tissue again, or you know, the, the immune function is restored, the dysregulation has gone away. Those are things that can take 30, 40 treatment hours. Does everybody need that? No, but some in fact, a lot of the people who have had unsuccess, you know, no success treating elsewhere, a lot of them do need that. They've got that level of dysfunction in their physiology. It's longstanding now. There are other things, you know, we've had people with diabetic wounds who are about to have an amputation, literally on the verge of an amputation, who in two weeks were fine. 
you know? That's impressive. Yeah. I'm, and I remember you showing me that picture. I just, uh, it's in the back of my mind of the, the gentleman with colitis, you know, before and after yeah. and just how magnificent, I mean, how much healing occurred in his intestine internally, you know, related, related to the hyperbaric oxygen therapy. I mean, there's so many indications. And, and I remember one time you, when I was speaking with you, you mentioned that it's good for wound healing. And I think, uh, you know, initially we think of wounds as being just external, but, uh, you know, you were indicating that a wound is a wound, uh, whether it's internal or external, you know, on your skin or in your brain or in your vasculature. And uh, it, it's just, I mean, I think that's how we need to look at it is, you know, that's what contributes to chronic disease are wounds in that is from infections and oxidative stress and inflammation. So it's just so neat to, to think about how, how effective this can be for, for such a wide variety of different problems, which is just, it's just neat. <laughs> no, it's pretty phenomenal. You know, again, Dr. Paul Harch has done a lot of work in helping hyperbaric medicine kind of look again at what's really going on here, because that, that is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with non-healing wounds. It's just that we, as you said, they can be internal. That can be ulcerative colitis, you know, and there are lots, there's studies with before and after pictures. We don't have that kind of camera here, but some people do around ulcerative colitis where the tissue after treatment, and again, this may be 40 treatment hours, but still is absolutely healthy and normal. And there's that dysregulation has been addressed so that it's not recreating itself anymore. That's what we want to see, not just monitoring or, or helping to prevent symptom flares. There's a new way of thinking, if you will, around that. The physiology has always been with us. We just didn't know how many applications there were. Absolutely. Yeah. And with your practice, are you seeing that, that when people really take that holistic approach, are they getting more benefit? Are, when they're working on nutrition and stress management and optimizing their minerals and their vitamins and you know they're exercising with hyperbaric oxygen therapy, are they seeing an added benefit? Oh my goodness. Yes. I, you know, of course there's no way around it. The physiology wants support in all of those ways. Yeah. There's no question. Hands down. Absolutely. And I think, you know, again, we, as a, we need to, as a community, get out of that, that quick fix mindset. And we need to recognize that, you know, there's a lot of great therapies, alternative and natural therapies out there, but the more we support our physiology, uh, you know, from, from multiple directions, just the, the quicker you're going to heal and the better you're going to feel and the longer you're going to live. And this is just another great tool that I think is going to be incredible for a lot of different people. And I hope the, the word continues to get out, but I know you mentioned a couple of really good examples, patient examples. Do you have any other patient examples you'd like to share that might help explain, you know, help people to really connect with hyperbaric oxygen therapy and how it can be beneficial? Boy, I tell you, there are so many when you think about it. It's so inspiring because when you get to work with people whose lives change like this regularly, it's just, how do you get a better profession than that? You know, it, it, yeah. So what comes to mind? My goodness, I have a few. So one would be a patient we had who has MS, showed up for their intake with me in a wheelchair, unable to hold her head up. So it was one eye kind of under the eyebrow and having to take breaks because speaking was exhausting, starting to have trouble swallowing, you know, didn't, couldn't not walk any longer or feel her feet. And she was so fortunate to have such a great care provider who would 
take her from, she'd moved to a residential care facility because she couldn't walk in the house any longer. She couldn't do stairs. She couldn't take care of herself. So her, her care person was so wonderful and brought her to our facility to treat in the hyperbaric. And I tell you, within a few weeks, maybe a month, she had made such improvement that they were starting to do exercises like standing out of the chair, walking, holding a wall. She was able to hold her head up. She didn't have tr- her feet. The, the, the numbness in her feet went away almost instantaneously. And she continued to treat. She actually ended up getting a chamber at home because that was just easier. They lived over an hour away. So, you know, this was kind of a big commitment and having a chamber at home made it much easier. She is now, she actually within some months moved out of the residential care facility and back into a private home is now she can walk. She, uh, if she goes long distances, you know, to a shopping mall or something, not that anybody's doing that right now, but uh, she uses a walker, but no wheelchair, absolutely ambulatory at home. She sent us a picture of herself swing dancing uh, the other day. And she is just a big advocate because, you know, she's been dealing with MS for 30, 35 years and uh, didn't know about this for a long time and is really wanting other people with MS to know about that. So there's, there's one example. Oh, that is a beautiful example. It's just so, so heartening. Inspiring. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this has been absolutely incredible. And I, you know, I can't wait to have you on again. And so for our listeners who want to learn more about you and your clinics, you know, how, what's the best way to get in touch with, in touch with you? Uh, you know, I would say that uh, we have a nonprofit that offers affordable hyperbaric oxygen therapy and trains providers who are interested in offering this to their, uh, to their patients. And that is Hyperbaric Vermont. It's hyperbaricvermont.org. I could spell that actually, because you know, a lot of people don't know how to, what hyperbaric is. Yeah. H Y P E R B A R I C B E R M O N T dot org. And that lists uh, our treatment centers. We have we have a couple in Vermont, Montpelier and South Burlington, and we have affiliate treatment centers. As you very well know, in West Lebanon, grassroots functional medicine, uh, Gentile uh, Hyperbaric in, in Brattleboro, Blue Skies Hyperbaric in Middlebury, and the first office I ever started, which is Community Hyperbaric in East Hardwick, Vermont. All of, those, all of that information would be available on that website and our phone numbers and all that. And you know, we're happy to speak with anyone, whether they're in Vermont or not. Certainly we see patients from New Hampshire and New York state and some from Massachusetts, but uh, we've trained docs and healthcare providers in other states as well. So uh, happy to talk with anyone about this. Great. And we'll be sure to put out all this information in the show notes so people can just click a link and find it. But well, one of the things I like to end the po- each podcast with is a health tip that our listeners can implement to help take their state of wellness to the next level. Do you have any particular health tip that you use or recommend in your practice frequently that uh, you see really make a big difference in people's lives? That's, you know, that's a tricky question because (laughs) it is everyone can say drink more water or exercise and it's all true. Right. And so I, I had to think about this a little bit and, and I would say that I think one of the things that's really important is to create Time. It doesn't have to be a long time, but a little bit of time in every day to really drop into a state of self-awareness on a physical, mental, emotional level to just sit for a sec, take stock, what you're feeling, how you're feeling, getting 
closer to that place where all of those things, the physical and the mental and emotional come together. You know, that source, which is really about our underlying tone. Some would say consciousness, but tone, which dictates, you know, form and structure and how we feel and how we think and all of that. And I think the more we can spend a little time in that, you know, those are all different points of entry into that, but spending a little time where we're paying attention to all of those, it helps those inform each other. And that I think is important to a balanced, a balanced, healthy system. It's pretty easy to get sucked into things that are trying to keep us in a fear-based environment keep us in a go, go, go based environment. None of those are where we make our best choices or or have the most self-awareness. And so I would say that's a good starting point. I love it. That's such great advice. And I just wanted to thank you for taking time out of your day to, to join us and help share the benefits of hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And I really hope to have you on again soon. And uh, I really hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you. Thank you very much, Seth. This is a pleasure and I'm, I really feel it's important to get the word out. So I appreciate your help with that. Absolutely. Great. Thanks. All righty. Thank you so much for listening, guys. To find more practical tips to improve your state of wellness, don't forget to join us in the Grassroots Private Facebook group. Just search Grassroots Community on Facebook to join. And if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired and you're looking for a comprehensive program to reclaim your health, check out our adaptation programs at grassrootsfunctionalmedicine.com. We'll help you uncover the root causes of dysfunction, create a structured plan of action, and hold you accountable with regular check-ins so you can get well and stay well in the years to come. Thanks again for listening and have a blessed day.